the power of a praying church. How do we, as God's people, learn how to pray in such a way that God begins to do the unexpected, the impossible, and begins to break through areas in our lives where we see God do that which is beyond what we have normally anticipated Him doing? How do, how do we move to a new level in our praying and a new level in God's answering of our prayers? I'm reminded of the story of the little girl who wrote a letter to a foreign missionary. And as she was writing the letter, her Sunday school teacher said to her, now, honey, you know, you can write this letter, but, you know, those missionaries are very busy and you shouldn't expect them to write you back. And so she wrote a note to the missionary and said, Dear Reverend Smith, we are praying for you. We are not expecting an answer. <laughs> I'm afraid that a lot of us approach prayer as we are not expecting an answer. We're talking to God, but we really don't anticipate that He's going to do something. In fact, we've already got it in our minds that he's not going to do it, but it just makes us feel better to pray about it and to talk about it. Now, think of the context in Acts chapter 12, which you've just seen. Herod has arrested James. He's killed him. Persecution is on the rise. Peter has been arrested. It's Holy Week. He's not going to kill Peter during Holy Week, but as soon as it is over, Herod plans to kill Simon Peter. He has seen that it pleases the Jews. He's a politician of political correctness and opinion polls. It pleases them that he would persecute and discourage and weigh down heavy on this burgeoning church. And so Herod, playing to the crowd, takes one more step. The spokesman for Pentecost, the leader of that early church, Simon Peter, and he goes after him. And I want you to look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 5, because in the, over these last two weeks, God has taken me to Acts 12, 5 as the key that may be missing in our church and may be missing in many of your lives. Because I believe that there is a spirit in many of us of unbelief. We're praying but we're not expecting an answer. We're, we're telling God, this is what we would like you to do, but we're not really expecting God to do anything about it. In fact, we just feel better by saying that we're asking God for it, and we kind of casually and half-heartedly go about our praying rather than boldly coming before God. This verse is the key to our intercessory prayer ministry. This verse, I believe, holds the key to unlock the doors for the things that are impossibles in your life that God can do if you grasp what we're going to talk about for the next 30 minutes. Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. So Peter was being kept in prison. That's an impossible situation. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church for him. An impossible situation, but... Prayer was being made fervently 
by the church, to God, for him. There are principles all through this. This man chained to guards, 16 guards at a time, actually. It would have been chained to him and at the gates 24-7. There's no way they can get him out. And I want you to notice what the church didn't do. The church did not try to stir the moral majority to write their congressman. Because a church that is a praying church understands that prayer, not politics, changes a culture. You can elect whoever you want to as president. It's not going to change the culture. Everybody's talking about, I'm the candidate of change. Nobody is going to change anything. The system is too entrenched. The only change will come from up above coming down on us. It's not going to change by a different person sitting in the Oval Office just not going to happen. So you can forget that. We've already played that drum for almost 30 years, and we're in worse shape now than when that drum started beating. Because we've substituted political action for prayer. The church has power when it prays, not when it is politicized. And so they didn't get up a petition they didn't get a mob out. They didn't start picketing out in front of the prison. Let Simon Peter go. Let Simon Peter. You know, they didn't go on strike. They prayed. They didn't even try to bribe Herod, and Herod was the kind of king that could have been bribed. They prayed. The problem with us and the reason that we don't see breakthroughs in our lives is we try every method we can think of. And notice I said we can think of. Every method we can think of except prayer. We'll talk to people and ask them to pray. We'll talk to the church. We'll, we'll write it down in our journal. We'll read a book about it. We'll do everything around the edges except get along with God and fervently pray over the situation. Which is why so many impossible situations remain impossible. Because we've not learned to call a prayer meeting. Now, I, I believe that the average Christian would say to you that they believe in the power of prayer in theory. But I also believe that the average Christian does not believe in the power of prayer in personal practice. We believe in it theoretically. We know it to be true. We've heard enough sermons on it, but we don't practically believe that there is great power in prayer. Can you imagine those, those guards that are guarding Simon Peter? I mean, they're soldiers. They're men's men. I mean, they're guarding. Can you imagine when the word drifted to them? <laughs> Guess what the church is doing? We've got Simon Peter, one chained on the left and one chained on the right, and he's chained up to us, and there's guards and there's gates. And the church, <laughs> a bunch of idiots, they're praying. What's that going to accomplish? By the way, that's what the devil's saying in hell right now. They're laughing at us. Because we don't believe in the power of prayer. We don't believe that God has given us a resource that is available to us that can knock down walls and barriers and obstacles in our lives that we are unable to imagine that he can do that. And, and so here's this church praying. 
Now think about Simon Peter. Now there's some humor in this story. Simon Peter is asleep. Now let me ask you, would you be sleeping if you knew that as soon as Holy Week is over, this Holy Week of Passover, as soon as it's over, you're dead. You know, and he didn't take any Ambien. I mean, he didn't see a commercial and get order online, a free sample. He's asleep, and the angel has to wake him up. I mean, that's how much at peace Simon Peter is. I mean, you know, we fret, we worry, we get anxious, we toss and turn, we wake up, we, you know, we walk back and forth in our houses, we turn the pillow over, we shift around in our beds. We, we can't settle and rest, but Simon Peter must have learned something from Jesus. When, when he watched Jesus as he taught them to pray, when he watched what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he stayed in that upper room for 40 days, Simon Peter must have learned something about the prayer life of Jesus that even in the face of his own death, Simon Peter could now be at peace. And the church is praying. Verse 6, on the very night when he was about to bring him forward, in other words, the next morning, he's going to be dead, just like James. I mean, you know, if he's going to kill James, there's nothing to stop him from kill, killing Simon Peter. Peter was sound asleep, surrounded by guards, and chained to a guard. But God showed up. Remember, he gets up, he realizes he's not having a dream, and he goes to the place, verse 12, where they were gathered together and praying. Now, let me ask you a good question here. If you got out of a really tight spot, where would you go the minute you got set free? Would you go to where you knew people were praying, or would you go do your own thing? If God released you from this bondage, if God released you from this impossible situation, if God moved in in an incredible and dynamic and supernatural way into that situation in your life, where would you go? Who would you want to be with? Who would you talk to? Here is a man who is headed for death, who is in prison, and the church is praying, and the enemy is opposing the work of the church. Now, this is not the first time that the devil has tried to oppose the work of God and stop the forward progress of the church. And that's why we always need to be praying. You go all the way back to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tried to stop the people of Israel from getting out of Egypt. You go back to the time of the book of Numbers. At least three kings in the book of Numbers tried to destroy God's people. When you look at Joshua chapter 12, there were 31 Canaanite kings who opposed the people of God when they took the promised land. In 2 Kings 19, Sennacherib and the Assyrian army were decimated in a battle against God. Herod's on this same path. He's setting out to kill Jesus. And I believe that in verse 5 is the key, listen to me, the key to setting captives free. I believe it is the key to your personal deliverance from whatever is holding you back in your Christian life. I believe it is the key to the issue that is affecting your marriage, that is affecting your family, that is affecting your children. I believe it is the key to you going into a new level and a new dimension in your walk with God. And as I've looked at this over these past two weeks, I have prayed, God, teach me the principles of this verse, this one verse, so that I can apply it to my own lives and so that we as your people called Sherwood can apply it to our lives. And so there are 
are four principles here, and it's found in four phrases. And I want to start at the last phrase. First of all, the key is to God. Prayer was being made to God. Now, that seems obvious. Well, who else are we praying to? You ask the average person, say, well, you know, do you think you're praying to God? Well, yeah, all praying is to God. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Because, you see, for prayer to be prayed to God, it has to be the way God designed it to be. Let Let me give you some examples of not really praying to God. First of all, if I want my will done on earth instead of God's will done on earth, that's not praying to God. That's trying to manipulate the Almighty to do what I want. Until I'm ready to do what Jesus did, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Until I'm at the point where I can surrender, not my will, but yours be done. Until I'm at the point where all that I want is the will of God done on earth, then I'm really trying to manipulate God in prayer, and I'm calling it prayer, but it's really manipulation. I'm trying to convince God to change his mind when I need to be surrendered to the will and the purpose of God. A second way we cannot pray in God's name is if we are praying to be heard and seen by men. That's a lot of public praying. We're praying to be heard and seen by men. I mean, when's the last time you heard somebody pray publicly about something that it was embarrassing to them to even voice it out loud. You know how we pray in public. O thou great, almighty, sovereign God of heaven, blessed is your name. We pray for those for whom it is our duty to pray. We hope that you will bless our services today. We hope that you will be kind to us, keep us safe. While we're on the road, bless the food, bless the gift and the giver. And for those whom it is our duty, amen and amen. And you go, we could train a robot to do that. You see, God's going to have to forgive us of our prayers because sometimes we pray because we get a little catchphrase and we can't get beyond that. We get a little thought, and we just keep saying the same thing over and over again. Jesus, in fact, instructed us in Matthew's gospel, avoid much repetition. Just get to the point. Avoid much repetition. Now, Lord, you know I really want you to do this. God, I know I'm asking you a lot, but I really want you to do this. Lord, Lord, I, you know, I, I'm even scared to ask, but I want to ask you to do this. Lord, I, I'm not sure if I should ask you to do this, but I want to do this. And, and I just, can I just tell you, I don't know that God's a type A personality, but I think God's just leaning over heaven and saying, would you just say what it is you want me to do? Just get to the point. i got five billion people here I'm worried about. Would you just get to the point? I don't need your life story. I need what you're asking me to do. I know your life story. I know the next breath you're going to take. In fact, I know things you don't know, and if I told you, you'd die right now. Just get to the point. His will be done, not to be heard and seen of men. You remember that Jesus said, when you do your praying, pray in secret. Don't be like the man who's blowing a trumpet and letting everybody know he's about to pray. We had a guy in a church that I served in Oklahoma years ago, meanest man in the church. I mean mean. He had a tongue that was so long he could lick the skillet in the fellowship hall standing in the worship center. Gossip, undermining. 
But boy, that guy could pray. You'd call on him to pray and you'd think that guy was waiting for a vacancy in the Trinity. But it wasn't real. Because you can't talk to God one way and be talking to, about God's people another way. God doesn't hear that prayer. That's not consistent. I think we're not praying to God when we're not conscious of His greatness and whose presence we're entering into. R.A. Torrey, when he was pastoring in Chicago, used to gather a group of believers on Saturday night before every Sunday service, and he would ask them to pray for the services, for the church, for him, and for revival to come in the land. And one night, Torrey said to the group that was gathered, be sure that you do not utter a word of prayer until you know you have come into the presence of God. Don't utter a word until you know you have come into the presence of God. Prayer is having an audience with the king. Prayer is having an audience with the king. I'll give you two quick illustrations. I remember the first time I met Arnold Palmer. I, I, my knees were knocking so loud that I think they thought there was an earthquake in Florida. I, I mean, I, I remember it. I was at Bay Hill, and he was out on the driving range walking back. It was when his wife, Winnie, was dying of cancer. And I went up to talk to him, and I told him that we were praying for him as a church. In fact, our church sent him over 600 prayer cards during that time. And I went to meet him. Arnold Palmer's called the king. I mean, if you, if you talk about Arnold Palmer, if you know anything about golf, he's called the king. And when I was talking to Arnold Palmer, I, the thought never entered my mind, how long am I going to have to stand here and talk to him? The thought in my mind was, how long is he going to put up with me talking to him? He's got other things to do. You know, he won't remember me the minute I walk off. Second illustration is in 2002 when I went to the Oval Office, and I'm, I'm in the Oval Office, and there are 12 people in the Oval Office, the, me and the president and 11 other people that I can't remember, but I definitely remember the president was there. <laughs> I don't remember the other people, but I remember him. I didn't go into the Oval Office thinking, you know, how long is this going to take? I'm trying to figure out how long is this going to take right here. You know, I'm a busy man. I'm Pastor Sherwood Baptist Church. Do you know how long it's going to You know how long it took me to fly up here to Washington, D.C. to come stand in your office? How long is it going to take me to get through with this thing right here? I want to tell you, if he'd have promised me that we could sit down, put our feet on the, on the coffee table, and drink a root beer float and talk all afternoon, I'd have stayed. I can tell you, I was in there 22 minutes. I know exactly how long I was in there. I was in there 22 minutes. And when it was time for us to go, he told us. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you for being here. That means hit the door. <laughs> if I'm praying, I'm never coming into the presence. Here's how you know you're praying. If I'm praying, I'm never coming into the presence of God saying, how long is this going to take? How long do I have to pray? When, when can I get relieved of this responsibility? When can I get up? Because I'm a busy man. I'm a busy woman. I got a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I got things on my plate you can't even begin to believe. I, I, I don't have time to do all this stuff. So how quickly can I pray? 
Lord, you know what's on my heart. God bless you. I got to go. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today, I can't do it until I've spent three hours with God in prayer. Say, man, if I spent three hours with God, I'd get fired. No, I tell you what, if you spent enough time with God, you would probably order your life differently and just focus on the priorities instead of wasting your time channel surfing and doing things that won't matter. That's probably what would happen. So let me give you two principles here. First of all, we come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. We come into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. If I'm going to go to God, I go through the blood of Jesus. I don't go to God on my merit. I don't go to God on my worth. God, I'm a pastor of a church. Lord, I'm a preacher. Lord, have you looked at my resume? I don't go to God on my merit or my worth. I go because of the blood of Jesus, which grants me access to the throne of God. And so when I go to God, I go covered by His grace. I never go with any thought of worthiness on my part to talk to God. I'm not worthy to go into the presence of God. The only reason I am is because God loved me and saved me and made an unworthy person have access. He gave me the keys so that I could boldly approach the throne of grace through His blood. Secondly, we come into the presence through the Son and by the Spirit. Ephesians 2.18, for through Him we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. That, that word access in Ephesians 2, it's a great word. Just write down Ephesians 2.18. You need to remember this. The word access, we have access through Him in the Spirit to the Father. That word access means introduction. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. When I've been saved and come to Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit inside of me goes ahead of me and introduces me to the Father. And the Holy Spirit gives me access. The Holy Spirit is my intermediary. He's my one who goes before me. He has access. And so when I'm praying, the Holy Spirit is saying to the Father, now, Father, there's Michael, and he has access to you. Let me introduce his prayers to you because he wants to talk to you. This is how you get in the door. It's through the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, I stood at the gate to go into the White House uh, one day, and uh, this guy brought another guy with him. We've got some secret service people in the church, and they'll understand this. This guy brought another guy with him. He said, hey, I, I'm supposed to be here in this meeting. He said, I brought my friend with me. He said, I just want to know if he can come in with me. No. Well, he's, he, he flew with me. No. Well, uh, you know, he's got his driver's license. So, sir, you don't understand. You, you have to go through FBI clearance. We have to do a background check before anybody can walk in this building. You just don't walk in when you feel like it. But he's with me. You see, that guy didn't have the power to grant access and introduction. He went through the wrong source. He went down the wrong road. And so while one guy went in, the other guy stood out at the gate and took pictures of the White House. He didn't get to get in. But if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have access to the Father by the Spirit through the Son 
So here's what he's saying. We go to the Father and we pray to the Father. We pray through the Son and we pray in the Spirit. Our prayers are to the Father through the Son. Why? Because He saved us. He redeemed us. We have access through His blood and we pray in the Spirit. The Spirit guiding our praying and what to pray and how to pray. So, it was to God. Secondly, it was fervently. Y'all are going to have to listen quicker. Fervently, without ceasing. The word is literally, this is not a good English word, but this is the way it would work out. Stretched outedly. Stretched outedly. They were play, praying fervently, stretched outedly reaching out to God as much as they could. They were saying, God, Peter's in prison. We're, we're in a trouble. We need your help, God. They were reaching. They were stretched out before God, probably laying on their faces, stretched out before God, saying, God, you know our situation. James is dead. Peter's about to be killed. And they were fervently praying. Jeremiah said, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, fervently. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, ask them to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That word striving, when Paul says to strive together with him, it's a word that means to agonize. It's a wrestling term. It means agonize with me, wrestle with me, together in prayer. Get a hold of God with me. Strive with me, con contend with me, fight for me in your prayers. Who are you fighting for in your prayers? Folks, listen. If God's going to break through, you're going to have to fight for people in prayer that aren't even fighting for themselves. They're not praying for themselves. You're going to have to fight for them. You're going to have to stand in the gap for them. Paul said, I want you to fight for me in your prayers. And The Bible says more about fighting for the faith than it says about resting in the faith. And I would encourage you to take your Bible and look at the times when Paul talks about agonizing and fighting and striving and laboring. And most of them refer to prayer. Not to walking long miles from church to church. Not to being on a shipwreck situation. But most of them refer to agonizing and laboring and contending and fighting in prayer. Fervently. David Brainerd was one of the great prayer warriors of the 1700s. There was a great revival of God among the Native American Indians during the time that Brainerd was alive. He died at an early age. He did not even live until his middle adult years. Brainerd would go out at night deep into the woods when it would be snowing and he would get on his knees and pray toward the directions of those Indian camps and he would ask God to send revival and ask God to save the Native American Indians and he would pray so hard that although it would be below freezing, he would sweat through his clothing praying for the American Indians, and God sent revival to them. By the way, David Brainerd's father-in-law was Jonathan Edwards, the greatest mind in American history by any objective observation, not only the greatest theologian in American history, but the greatest mind in American history was Jonathan Edwards. 
Can I tell you something? There would be more great preachers and great revivals if there were more great prayer warriors. If you'll pray harder, I can preach better. I'm serious. The more you pray, the better I preach. You know why? Because God's working on me, but God also starts working on you. And you hear the word better when you're prayed up. And you respond to the word more quickly when you're prayed up. When you come anticipating that God might speak to us, when you come believing that God's going to do something, it's not something that we work up by singing the right kind of songs. It's something that God works in us and through us through an attitude and an environment of prayer. It was to God fervently by the church. Matthew 18, 19 says, If you two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Let me just give you a quick thought here. A praying church gets breakthrough answers in unity. The key to a powerful church is unity. If you want to know why I work so hard about unity in this church, because if there is disunity, there can be no power. God does not work in chaos or in disorder. God works in unity. That's not unity of head that we all think the same way. We can disagree about things. That's unity of heart that we all want the same thing. And that's for the glory of God to fill this place. Jesus said, you get on the page with me and you ask anything and it'll be done. Not ask what you want. You get on the page with me and you ask anything and it will be done. Unity in prayer. Now, I know what happens to you, and I'm, I'm rushing. I know what happens to you. You got a real need. You got a real problem. You got a real issue. And you go to somebody and say, Hey, will you pray with me about this? And they say, uh -huh, I'll pray with you about it. And some of you have been asked to do that. Somebody's come to you in a Sunday school class. Somebody's come to you in your family and said, Would you pray with me about this? Oh, yeah, I'll pray with you about it. And, and when somebody asks you to do that, now listen to me, church, somebody asks you to do that, and you walk away thinking, there's no way God's going to do that. You just violated the principle of unity in prayer. And what you acted on was the spirit of unbelief, not on the act of faith. If somebody asks you to agree with them in something in prayer and you walk away and say, I don't think God can do that, then you just brought a spirit of unbelief into the church and into that situation. To agree means to be at one with 
one another on it, to be in total harmony, to walk in step, to be in tempo with one another. Nobody walking to the beat of a different drummer, but we are in agreement on things that matter. You say, well, God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted to. Well, either you didn't pray the will of God or some of us may have said, well, whatever. You know, I, I'll tell them I'm praying for them, but I'm not going to waste my time praying about that. I mean, God's not going to do it. God's not going to heal that person. That kid's been away from God for 20 years, and nothing's going to change now. Why should I pray now? Why should I buy? Nothing's going to change. You've just written God out of the equation. You've just decided that you know more than God because you've decided nothing's going to change. And so you can't pray in agreement with that person. You can't pray in harmony with that person. You can't pray in step with that person. By the church. There is nothing more powerful in heaven and earth than a church united in prayer. And there is nothing that Satan fears more than a church united in prayer. Nothing. He does not fear our programs. He doesn't fear us building a sports complex. He didn't fear us building this building. He doesn't fear all the different things we do. He doesn't fear anything. Satan doesn't fear one thing this church does except prayer. Because when we pray, we bring a divine dimension into the life of this church that is lacking in the average church in America today. And we bring all heaven as our resource before the throne of God. All heaven comes together with us and we walk in power, striving together as a church to see something happen. One last word. For him. That's not the group. And <laughs> Simon Peter. Prayer was being made to God fervently by the church for him. A definite person, a definite need, a definite prayer, a clearly defined purpose. If you ever want to read the story of a great man of prayer, you ought to read the story of George Mueller. George Mueller was a great man of prayer and a great man of faith. He is probably one of the top three examples in 2,000 years of Christian history of a man who knew how to believe God and knew how to pray. I mean, when you read George Mueller's life, you'll realize no matter how far you've gone, you've got a long way to go. I do. George Mueller was on a boat heading to Quebec. And he went to the captain one day. They had run into a dense fog. And he said, Captain, I have to be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. And the captain said, it's impossible. The fog is too dense. We can't make our way. And Mueller responded, very well. If the ship can't take me, I will find some other way. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years so let's go down to the chart room and pray. So the captain later said about this incident, I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum did this man break out of? We are in the middle of a dense fog, and he doesn't know anything about being the captain of a ship, and he doesn't know anything about a fog. Where did he come from? And Mueller said, no, 
My eye is not on the density of the fog. My eye is on the living God who knows every circumstance. Now, see, some of you, the reason I had them move during this time, because I knew about 85% of you are going to watch them move and not listen to me. You know why? Because you'd rather look at the fog than look at God. That's exactly why I had them move during this time. Because you're more worried about what they're doing than about what I'm about to tell you. And that's why you can't get a breakthrough in prayer. Hey, folks, it ain't rocket science. It's paying attention. Listen. Mueller said, my eye is not on the fog. My eye is on the living God who has never failed to meet me in 57 years. And he will not fail me now. And so they started praying. And Mueller prayed. And the captain said, I started to pray. And Mueller said, don't pray. And the captain asked him, why not? He said, first of all, you don't believe God's going to do it. And secondly, I believe, and he's already told me he's going to do it. Let's go up. The fog's gone. And they got up, and the fog was gone. And he was in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. Now listen to me, church. Listen to me. I've been here 18 years. I love you. I love you. But some of you, whether you've been here six weeks, six years, or 18 years, have spent your Christian life looking at the stinking fog. And you're not looking to God, and that's why your life is in such a pitiful mess that it is. Because all you can see is the fog, and the devil will always bring the fog in. He will always bring the fog and make you look at the fog. He will always make you look at your circumstances. He will always give you a distraction. But if somebody somehow in this church could break out of the fog and say, I don't care if anybody else is believing God, I'm believing God. And if you don't believe God, don't pray. Because I've already believed God for it. So I want to ask you as you stand to your feet. Who's going to pray? Who's going to believe God? Who's going to say, God, here's this impossible situation, and I'm going to fervently bring it to you. I'm going to fervently put it before you. I, I've, I've asked the church to pray, but God, I'm going down now, and I want to see through the fog, past the fog, and beyond the fog, and I want to see you work. I don't have to say anything else. You either know whether you need to come or not to come to this altar and to pray, to come to this altar and seek the Lord, to come to one of these staff members and find salvation in Jesus Christ. Whatever you need to do, they're going to sing. You step out and come right now.